Hey gamers, this is Joe for What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 74 of the podcast that was originally recorded on June 17th of 2015. I started off talking about the release of a review that I finally did for Jaipur, which is up on the site, so definitely check that out. I then jumped into What I'm Playing Now. Some of the games I played for the week were Welcome to the Dungeon, Lords of Waterdeep with the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion, and Prestige, which is a Splendor clone, clone on my Android phone. I also had an interview with Alan Girding from Tuesday Night Games. I also talked about a couple of games I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, gamers, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. My name is Joe Luzzi, and we are on episode 74. Hey, send us some emails. Let us know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to whatimplayingnow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G on Facebook. Just do a search for what I'm playing now. We have a Google Plus page, which is plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm playing now podcast. And then, of course, our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. So the latest site update, I actually released the review for Jaipur. I know it was a little late. I had been working on it for a week or so now rewriting it a couple of times and finally felt okay it is good enough to release i threw it up on board game geek on the website and put it out on facebook got a couple of nice responses everybody seems to be liking the review so far i'm actually in the works of writing another one currently so hopefully that one will be up much faster and i'm probably going to try to release at least one written review weekly is going to be my goal here hopefully i'm going to be able to keep up with that I will not guarantee that every week, though. Uh, last week, I actually skipped the podcast because I was on vacation. So we had a lot of stuff that we were actually, my wife and I were doing around the house. So I decided to just take a break for a week off of the podcast. I actually didn't even go down to the local game store too much and actually play any games. But I still actually have some games to talk about, as well as another special feature coming up in the in the show, which is going to be in the middle, which we'll talk about shortly. But let's jump into what I'm playing now for the week. So one of the games I actually started playing this week was a little card game called Welcome to the Dungeon. This is a cool little card game that comes with four different characters, and basically it's a push-your-luck type of game where you and your opponent or opponents basically sit there and try to draw monster cards from the monster deck and figure out whether you want to put the monster in the dungeon or actually set the monster in front of you and remove one of the pieces of equipment from the character that will be going through the dungeon. Once enough people have drawn enough cards and put them in the monster deck or removed enough equipment from the character that will be entering the dungeon, If every, once, once everybody passes and there's one person left who can't pass, that person must basically go through the dungeon and you start flipping the monster cards over and starting to see if they basically survive the run or not. It's a really light little game. It's completely push your luck and every time I play this game, all I think about is name that tune because that's exactly what it just reminds me of in that you are going to try to take a character through this dungeon with as little equipment, as little health as possible and see if you can survive the barrage of monsters that are being thrown at you. The nice thing about the game is, like I said before, it does come with four different characters and the characters do have a nice some nice differences to them in that the equipment that they have and the abilities that this equipment then gives you really makes you think a lot of different ways because it interacts with the monsters differently. Certain characters can kill certain monsters. Other characters can't even touch those certain monsters. So it it really makes you think. It, I won't say that it's really 
heavy strategic, but there is a little bit of strategy that you kind of have to think about and kind of know when to actually say quit and when to kind of let your opponent run through the dungeon to see if they can make it or not. I've won a couple of games and I've lost a lot of games. So it's it's kind of fun. We were enjoying it the several times we played it so far. Expect a review on this one coming up probably in a couple of weeks as there's another review I have ahead of this one on a game I've actually been playing for the past couple of weeks as well. But Welcome to the Dungeon is definitely a cool little game. It's from Aiello. Check it out if you haven't had a chance to yet. One of the other games I had a chance to play this past week quite a bit that I actually taught my wife and she was very enamored with and really enjoys, which really made my week, and that is Lords of Waterdeep. So we played several times with just the base game. We got a good feel for that, and then I picked up the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion. We played with that, and we even liked the game more, if that's even possible. So this was actually the first worker placement game that my wife had ever played, and she caught on to the game very quickly. All of our games have been extremely close, and actually once we added the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion, she actually beat me in a game. I'm really enjoying that she's having a good time with worker placement games. I enjoy worker placement games, so I figured Lords of Waterdeep would be a very good one to actually teach her and get her into that type of genre of game, which she had not experienced before. I was, like I said before, I was very excited when she actually enjoyed it and just said, hey, let's play this again. Let's play this again. I was like, I will definitely be playing this as many times as you want because I really enjoy Lords of Waterdeep. So now that I got her into some worker placement games, I'm hoping we can get her into a few heavier games, but we'll see. Maybe Kanban will be in her future sometime soon. I don't know about that, though. All right. One of the other games I've been playing for this week is a little game on my phone called Prestige. If you have an Android phone and you haven't checked this out yet, you need to download this game immediately. It is a free game. The nice thing about it is it is a Splendor clone. Now, it seems that it is I don't want to say it's an early access, but it seems that they are still working on quite a few things with the game. It is an early release. The game plays very nicely. I really haven't found any bugs with it, but the AI that they have in the game right now, there's only one level of AI, and it doesn't seem to be too hard to beat. I've won a majority of the games I've played. I have lost one or two, but it seems like most of the games I've played, I have won. If you are a Splendor fan and just want to maybe brush up on some Splendor and solo get in solo playing, you can play this Prestige against computers, or you can even actually play against other people that have the Android app. So I actually haven't done the multiplayer game yet. I've just played against the AI as we have the game Splendor and my wife and I enjoy that game quite a bit. But if you do like Splendor, definitely check out Prestige on the Android store or on iOS. I, well, you know what? I don't know if it's on iOS or not, so I can't say that. I know it's on Android. So if you have an, if you have an Android phone, check it out there. All right, so the next part of the show is going to be a new part of the show, something that I have been wanting to do now for a while, and this is going to be the Whippin' interview part of the show. So I was lucky enough to meet Alan Girding from Tuesday Night Games. He was at our local store during Tabletop Day. He had brought his game Two Rooms in a Boom there, which was actually kickstarted a while ago and is currently in the process of being printed and will be hopefully shipping to Kickstarter backers, I believe in August is what he had said. So I have a really great interview here with him. He talked a lot about what he has done in the gaming industry so far what he's what he likes as far as games goes we had a really great conversation he talked quite a bit about kickstarter and his whole kickstarter experience and getting his game produced and like i said when i played his game two rooms in a boom on tabletop day I really enjoyed it. If I had been into Kickstarter back then, because I really don't think I was into Kickstarter too much when his game was actually Kickstarted, I, I definitely would have Kickstarted this game because it is a lot of fun. I can't wait for this game to actually hit the local game store can I, so I can actually pick this up because when we played it, we played with, I think, around 16 people on Tabletop Day, and I think I had mentioned this during my Tabletop Day episodes. We had a great time with this game. So hopefully everybody enjoys the interview, and I'll be back right after the interview ends. <laughs> 
Hey everyone, this is Joe during the editing process, and I just wanted to say that during the interview that you're going to hear with Alan and myself, we were over Skype during this call, and sometimes during the interview, Skype really didn't play nice with us, so there were a couple of times where you might not be able to understand what Alan's saying, but please just listen to the whole interview. It's definitely worth listening to, and I think it only happened a couple of times where he was kind of getting a little messed up due to the Skype connection. So, like I said, please just take a listen to it. Hopefully, going forward, we can get, um, get a good, a better Skype connection. Okay, well, we're going to start off with the next part of the podcast, and we have our first interview here on What I'm Playing Now. I have Alan Girding. He's one of the co-creators of Two Rooms in a Boom. Um, his co- the other co-creator with him is Sean McCoy. So, Alan, glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we actually kind of met down at recess on Tabletop Day um, this year, yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah. And I, it was kind of funny because... Jim had said there was somebody coming down with a game, and I was like, well, I'll definitely want to play it because I always like playing new games, especially from a local designer. I was like, that's pretty cool. I really didn't know too many local designers around the area. So, and then after I kind of, like, started talking to you, I kind of recognized you from something, which we'll get into in a little bit. Okay. I know where you're going. <laughs> so, you know we probably had to go there. Um, right. But I will have to say, I really enjoy Two Rooms in a Boom. Thank you. Um, but let's go into some of the history, I guess, some of your gaming history. I mean, I guess, what type of games did you grow up playing? Uh, do you have a regular gaming group that you kind of get together with? You know, what, what type of games, uh, games are you playing nowadays? So, I mean, there's several questions in that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just a couple. Different answers. Yeah. You know, I've always enjoyed it as people do into your aunt and uncle's basement with their peer cousins during Thanksgiving and you look and you see paid and acquire maybe some monopoly life and play that a love for game and, and I'm gonna age myself here but I think I was about eight years old and my father got me hero quest from Milton Bradley nice yeah and so I got to be older brother by four years I played with uh, my older brother and uh, three of his friends, and we just went through the entire set, uh, every single mission, and I just loved it. So that was when I really got hooked on them. And it progressed from there. Of course, life gets in the way. Yes, and I does. had to come down, but I learned Werewolf as well. So I've been doing social deduction games probably since the age of 13. And when I... A game night every Tuesday. It actually started as a Halo night when Halo was getting popular, and we went ahead and got four televisions, hooked them up, and we would play Halo. But eventually, it kind of segged and naturally branched into Werewolf. So I've been GMing Werewolf for an incredibly long amount of time every week for over 15 years now. Uh, but anyway, so that really got me into gaming and we had this regular gaming group and we still play together every Tuesday night. And it's interesting because people have moved, friendships have changed. Uh, but that's basically where this gaming background came in. And, uh, nowadays I play everything if for no better reason than research, my favorite type of games are the games that are the best ones to host because I've been hosting these games for years and years and decades, basically. So, uh, like, Ink and Gold is always a classic. Werewolf, always a classic. 
but more recently, uh, I have played some Euro games, but those are rarer than not because of these two day gatherings. Some people can show up and leave. So if you're playing a two hour game, one hour game, it's difficult to get people in and out. Mm-hmm. So an easier learning time, easier to get in, get out, the better. So, uh, but I, I still play plenty of games. What did I just play? I've been playing Zombie 15 recently. I just played that last night, in fact, uh, for the first time. That was really cool. I'm addicted to Kickstarter, so I'm trying to play <laughs> as many Kickstarter games as I can. Um, but I think I'm falling behind. It, it's pretty sad that I, I almost get them quicker than I can play them. I played Crosshairs the other week. I'm not sure if you heard of Crosshairs. Crosshairs, I haven't. You haven't. Yeah, Crosshairs is this interesting take. It's almost like Candyland. But oh, wow. now it's, it's that classic board where you just roll the die to see how far you go, and the first one who gets to the end wins. But your rabbit's fighting against the factory and the toxic pollutants that the factory's doing. So it's it's interesting for that genre, certainly. It reminds me more of Hirelings. Hirelings is from prolific games. These are all Kickstarter references. But that's what I've been playing lately. Uh, but my heart is always in these social games, social deduction. I play a ton of monikers. That's the one that gets requested the most. And we do the cooperative variant, which I developed. Um, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with monikers, but man, whew, that seems to be phenomenal. And of course, Two Rooms in a Boom. Just got back from Origins just this past week and played so much two rooms in a boom there always a good time so oh, yeah, yeah I, I could just i could just imagine all the all the probably demos you were doing down at origins <laughs> yeah you so, know there's, there's always at least one game going on but oftentimes we have two i remember two years ago when we had it uh there was i think like five games going on at one time just in our spe- specified play area but you can walk around and you can usually find some games, pick up games going on other places, which is amazing because we're so late on printing that it's not even available yet. Uh, you can buy it pre-order, but it's not even available until Origins. I'm not Origins, August. Yeah, crazy. Now that was that was going to be one of my later questions, but since you brought up Origins, let's chat about it. I, I okay. saw you you had posted on your Kickstarter that you guys were at Origins. How was the show for you? Um, what did you guys do besides demoing stuff? I did not get to make it down to Origins this year um, because I was on vacation the week after Origins because my wife's birthday was a couple days ago. Hey, so I, happy I had, birthday! Yeah, I had to do the right thing and basically, you know, basically stay stay with the wife. So right. next year, next year supposedly I get to go to Origins. That we've already discussed that. <laughs> have you ever been? I have not. Um, wow. Two years ago, my wife and I did go to PAX East, and she really had a good time at that. So, I have been to PAX, and I'm dying to go to PAX. Anytime I go to get a ticket, already out. So I don't know how people are getting tickets, and I think it'd be easier just to exhibit there than it is to get a ticket as a regular goer. So. Uh, I definitely have to get into PAX. Yeah, so I'm jealous. I'm jelly. <laughs> yeah, PAX was definitely a little interesting. I mean, when she, my wife's a gamer. She you knows she does like to game and everything. But when she walked into like just the entrance way, and as we were going down the escalator, she just kind of looked at me and she just was like, "Wow, I feel a little out of my element here." And she goes, "This is," I, she goes, "I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> just the yeah. amount of people and just." all the exhibitions and everything that was there was really cool but how was origins for you and then i'll lead into another question what do you guys have planned for gen con oh good question so <laughs> origins was great always fun 
Um, you know, I don't know what the numbers are or anything like that. I don't know how well we did. I'm doing quotes that no one can see, not even you, how well we did. <laughs> because we don't have any products yet. Our Kickstarter has been so delayed, it's a nightmare. And I've spent so much of my time apologizing and explaining to our backers about the mishaps that we've had in our Kickstarter campaign, which I'd like to say is typical Kickstarter stuff. But anyway, we booked a for Origins and Gen Con, so we had no product to sell at Origins. So it's one of those things that we can't empirically show a numeric value on how we did at Origins. So it's all word of mouth. It's all basically just marketing and seeing how much people like our game. But the big thing that was really cool about Origins is we debuted Tuesday Night Games, our game company's game number two. And we haven't showed it off in public yet, and this is our first time showing it off in public, and it's World Championship Russian Roulette. So the highlight of the show for myself and Sean and our other members of our team was the response we got for World Championship Russian Roulette. It seemed like a lot of people liked it. In fact, man, it, it sounds self-promoting, so I, I hate humble brag, but everyone who played it seemed to really enjoy it. We had people asking us when they can buy it and offer us offering us money, but it's in the beta still it's, we're hoping it hits Kickstarter, November holiday season, that kind of thing. So it's interesting because we had the beta, t you know, the prototypes available there and people thought they could just buy those, but no, we, we were just demoing them. So that was the highlight of the show. And as always, we get the same people every year playing two rooms and a boom along with many, many new people. So it's just cool to see the turnovers. It's almost like a summer camp reunion. And that's why we really love, really love origins. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say what may be considered blasphemy, but maybe even more so than Gen Con, because Gen Con is so big and so epic, so many people, so many fans, and that's awesome. Origins has a smaller type of feel to it where that has more time for the reunion where I get to see so many familiar faces with uh, some of my designer friends and publisher friends. It's really cool. And again, people that come and just are there as goers of the show. It's really cool to catch up with everyone. That, so, that, that's what I've heard that Gen Con is usually just a little, a little almost too big and origins is a little scaled back. And that's probably why I think I'm going to take the wife down to probably origins first before we even attempt a Gen Con. Because to me, from what you kind of just described, Origins is probably going to be a little more similar to what we've experienced at PAX. PAX is not very, very large, but there were still quite a few people there when we went to Boston. I mean, she, my, like I said, my wife was just pretty impressed with the amount of people that were there. And just the industry, I mean, you have, you know, PAX being a little different in that they had a lot of not only board games and, you know, card game sections, but also video games and just a whole lot of other things there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I want to go, too, is uh, I love the mashup of the industry. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – uh, can't it's, wait. It's, it's super it's awesome. excited. Let me just tell you it's awesome. When you go there, you will have a very good time. And when you go there, let me know. I can tell you some very good restaurants to eat at that we found when we were there. <laughs> that I will definitely take you up on that. The thing is, I used to go to E3 every year. I've been to about five or six E3s. See, no, I'm, jealous, like I'm jealous about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that was when it was big, though, because this was years and years ago, because uh, my brother's in the video game industry. So we he, he would exhibit there. He had this arcade machine for the home and office he was selling. And so I got to go and help him exhibit there. And man, that was just sensory overload. So loud, so much traffic all the time. My understanding is it has since really fizzled down a bit, E3. And mostly because of packs, from my understanding. But I remember the last year I was there, the numbers seemed down because that was the year that the E3 switched it to like press and industry only. Yeah. You couldn't just go as a citizen. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've heard I've heard their numbers have been up and down over the years and some of the different podcasts that I used to do for video games and stuff, you know, these the guys talk about and they're like, you know, is E three even viable, you know, with with so many other shows that go on during the year. Um, yeah, you know, just for all of the different genres of gaming, you know, there's just, there's just so many, it's, it's almost, it's gotta be really rough for you trying to just hit a majority of them. Yeah. Because I mean, it's definitely not cheap. <laughs> no, no. And the, the crazy thing is, is that it's just myself and my business partner and friends that are volunteering their time to help us out at booths and things like that. So it, it's, everything is off of my dollar. Cause one thing we, we did pretty well in Kickstarter and it's interesting because we made this promise not to spend any of the Kickstarter's money. And that's the truth. So everything is just taken on basically my credit card <laughs> because it, my secret identity is I'm a college professor and I'm using that. My wife is thrilled about this. That's not true at all. But anyway, uh, so I'm taking it all on my own in the meantime in hopes that there will be enough money left over from when we fulfill all of our Kickstarter promises to pay me back for the booth space and t-shirts and promotional things like that. But in the meantime, the only thing we've touched the Kickstarter money for is fulfilling our Kickstarter promises. So that's the interesting thing. So yeah, it's hard to go like we're only really going to these two shows, origins and Gen Con exhibiting the other ones were either invited to, or they're not shows we're exhibiting. We're just asked to demo there. And that's basically our show lineup for the entire year. Like we go to BGG con every year. That's awesome too. Right. I love BGG con, but we don't have a booth there where you just set up shop and start playing two rooms in a boom. And we get huge crowds playing that. It's, it's fun. That's cool. That's that's another one that's on my list that I want to go to is the BGG con definitely. So I I definitely have a few that are on my on my bucket list right now. I will say. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how every show has a different feel to it as well. I, we already talked about the difference between Gen Con and Origins, but right. even BGG con, BGG con is really focused on just playing games. The main thing isn't even the exhibit hall. It's just the open gaming area where it's just a huge room. Everyone playing whatever games, holding up their signs, looking for two, looking for two more, looking for one. <laughs> it's almost like a game of pit, but instead of commodities, you're trading players. That's so it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, so let's let's get back into some more of the game stuff. So, like I started off at the beginning when we when I first kind of met you, I kind of recognized you from something. Yeah, <laughs> and that was basically the tutorial videos for Mage Wars. So absolutely. How long, I, I guess, how, how much time have you really spent in the industry? And <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, did you, did you work much? I mean, considering you 
you have a, another job, <laughs> another full-time job. I mean, did you work full-time right. in the gaming industry, or was it just like a part, you know, a partial thing you did? It was all hobby and fun. So, all right, uh, here's here's the quick lowdown on my gaming experience. <laughs> so, I've always been a fan, and I really got into role-playing, and I really got into Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, and this is from like Green Ronin Publishing. Mm-hmm. And I played it, and this is basically while I was in grad school working to become a, a clinical psychologist. While I was waiting for my thesis to be reviewed, I started getting together with friends, and we had this year-long campaign that I GM'd, and it was really fun. I started making my own rules because there was a problem with combat. It got to the point where my players were avoiding combat scenarios, not necessarily because they were scared of dying from all these beastmen attacks or chaos warriors or anything like that, but because it really wasn't fun. Because we spent so much time in the narrative time of role-playing that when it came down to the combat, they just said, ugh, it, t- it took too long. So I started trying to tweak the rules, and then I would go to Gen Con, and I remember Fantasy Flight bought the rights to the Warhammer line, and they were re-releasing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And they hired a new designer for it, a lead developer, uh, Jay Little. And I remember saying, oh, I want to see if I can talk to this guy. So I saw Jay Little at Gen Con, popped my head in, no, like no experience in the industry except just a fanboy, just playing games. So at this point, I'm just a player. And I go to Jay Little and I say, hey, I'd love to eat lunch with you. No problem. He steps out. We eat lunch together during the show. And I explain to him, I'm a huge fan. He's like, thanks, that kind of stuff. I'm too. That's why I'm you know, developing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I said, yeah, I have some problems with the combat system. He said, you're not alone. So well, let me show you what I've done. And I pulled out these cards, and he took a look at them, and he said, what do you want me to do with these things? It's funny because in hindsight, I realized it totally looked like I was some type of game designer throwing a pitch mm-hmm. to a developer or something like that. But that wasn't at all. I was just a fanboy looking for to have a conversation to geek out about Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. And he said, well, what do you, what do you want with this? I was like, nothing. I mean, here, I mean, you could, you could use them. You can have them, whatever. Okay. So a year goes by and it's next Gen Con and he sees me and he's like, hey man, he didn't remember my name, but that's fine. There's so many people at Gen Con. I don't hold that against him. And the slides is like, hey man, come here. And he's like, yeah, you got to go to this uh, hotel room uh, at such and such a time. We're doing this unveiling. You got to be there. So I go there and he reveals Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 3rd Edition and it's very card-based. It's a very card-based role-playing game <laughs> to the point where I thought, you know, maybe my cards inspired that. That's really interesting, which is when the game design bug kind of bit me. And at that point, I joined, like, a designing group uh, locally uh, from BOGA, which is Board Gamers of Greater Akron. Mm-hmm. And they have BOGA DAP, which is design and prototyping. So we'd get together and we'd share, like, some of our design ideas and we would just play. But one of the things we did was we did playtesting for other companies. Like, AEG used us, WidKids used us, and they would send us their prototypes and say, what do you guys think? And so I really got into that. And I kind of went a little rogue on it. And I started doing more playtesting than the group was doing on my own. And in the meantime... I was with my girlfriend. I know this story is way longer than you're probably expecting. I apologize. No, so. no, this is this is exactly kind of 
the answer I was kind of hoping you would give. Uh, something <laughs> like a really good story. And this is a very good story, so please continue. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm designing games. Most of them are just total garbage, but it's just on the fuel of the excitement that maybe one of my game designs, when I wasn't even thinking about it, was taken in seriously in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. In the meantime, I'm with my girlfriend at the time, and we're playing a crap ton of Ascension. Ascension, still my favorite deck building game. I think it combines uh, the best of all of them. It's simple, quick, has enough luck, but enough skill. It's just great mainstream. And it has that feel that I talked about previously where you can teach someone easily, you can get in, you can get out, get a game, and especially if it's just two players. So it's my wife. Oh, sorry, I gave away, gave it away. It's my girlfriend at the time's favorite game. And I contacted the makers of Ascension, right? So basically like Justin Gary, I got in contact with what is now Stoneblade Games, mm-hmm. then it was Gary Games. And I said, hey, I'd, uh, I have my girlfriend. I want her to be my wife. I want to propose to her and we play Ascension a lot. I would love it if I could use your game. So we worked together. We got the official artist, Eric Sabi, to do a mock-up of the card. And sure enough, they made and published a card for me where it was myself and my girlfriend uh, named Crystal. And we were in this card and we were playing the game and I filmed it. And you can actually check it out on YouTube. You just, you know, search Ascension Proposal. And I actually, uh, I, actually I actually have seen it. You have seen it. Oh, cool. Yes, I did. I watched so it. She pulls out, <laughs> cool. She pulls out the card. And she had no idea that I was going to propose to her because we had been together for years before this. And uh, she said yes, of course. And she's my wife now. And uh, that was I think, a really good move because gaming with my now wife really gave me, again, the encouragement and energy to go forward with my developing things. So because of that, I got a little bit of a name, not that I'm famous by any means, but more people knew me as a play tester at that point because that video uh, was pretty big in the industry. A lot of people watched it. Some people, it was weird going to a show because they made a promo card for this and you can still get the promo card. It's one of the official promo cards for Ascension. Oh, wow. And they get it, the uh, Ring of Life. I, for us, it was named the Ring of Gerd, but uh, people would actually come up and say, hey, could you sign this? This is, this is trippy, man. I can't believe I'm signing something because I'm pretty far from a celebrity. Uh, and one of the games that I was approached to play test was known as Mage Wars, and that's from Brian Pope and Arcane Wonders. The company's Arcane Wonders. It's owned by Brian Pope, and I did play testing. I was really into it. And I went to the Gamma Trade Show because as a fan, I would still just go to these different trade shows. And the Gamma Trade Show in Vegas, amazing show. It's made for the retailers and the insiders and the publishers, things like that. But I had an in, uh, this magician, Michael Mirth. But that's another story, perhaps for another day. Uh, So I'm in the Gamma Trade Show and Brian Pope stands up and he's telling everyone about this upcoming game, Mage Wars. Like, oh, cool. This is Mage Wars. I've been playtesting this. And he's going through this slideshow, and up comes a picture of me, which I had like sent him as part of like, hey, playtesting, I do some video, I do some pictures. And here he's showing pictures like, oh, whoa, that's me. And I say that out loud, and he sees me in the audience. I didn't mean to do this, made him totally nervous, because he thought, uh-oh, uh, and they didn't even ask this guy if I could use his image. We talked afterwards. We laughed. We had a night on our town. We had a great time. And with him was his basically the hand of the king, for lack of a better term. It was his lead developer, I think was the title. I feel bad. And that was Sean McCoy. 
And I quickly became friends with Sean McCoy, uh, Brian Pope's number two at Arcane Wonders. And we hung out all Gamma Trade Show, and Brian Pope said, hey, you know, we want to do these tutorial videos. We'd like you to do them. So I did these tutorial videos, and Sean, um, Sean McCoy, his trade was in film. So he was a trained film artist, uh, director, et cetera. And so we filmed these tutorial videos, and we really had this friendship that blossomed from that. And I always wanted to do my own game company, Realistically, the game company idea came from some slight frustration because I was pitching some of my games to publishers. And this is before Kickstarter was popular, too. And the frustrating thing is push, pitching your game to publishers is if you're not published, it's hard to published. Even if your game is okay, it's a little risky. It's really risky for the publishers to just publish a game from someone who doesn't really have a name. For instance, anytime Alan Moon makes a game or Reiner Nizia makes a game or Donald Vaccaro, anytime they make a game, even if it's just an okay game, it will sell enough units because people say, oh, that's from the maker of Dominion or, oh my goodness, that's Richard Linus. He's the dude to make Arkham Horror. Mm-hmm. Richard Lanius is one of my favorite dudes. He's amazing. But anyway, so uh, it's hard to get published. So I, I always want to do this like game company on my own just to get started. And then Kickstarter came around, was getting more and more popular. And eventually I just offhandedly asked Sean, like, hey, man, if uh, I were to start a game company, would you want to do it? Because I wouldn't really want to do the business end of it. I just want to design my games and get them published. And he said, man, that sounds pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? And this is like on a Thursday or Friday. And then he calls me on Monday. He's like, I did it, dude. And I think to myself, did what? He's like, I quit Mage Wars. I quit Arcane Wonders. We're going to start our company. And there was this miscommunication because nowhere in our conversation I was really confident. I say, yeah, you should totally quit your job and this company together. But that's how he took it. It was like, what? Oh, my goodness. So we were basically off like a prom dress at that point. Sorry, that may not have been appropriate <laughs> reference. But we were off and running, and we started uh, Tuesday Night Games. And we worked together, and we both came up with this idea of two rooms and a boom. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty much and that's all she wrote. After that, we went on Kickstarter. We did a whole bunch of marketing for two rooms and a boom first. People seemed to really like it. And on Kickstarter and we needed $10,000 to $101,000. So that was really cool. Really That's, cool. That is a cool story. Now, you during that whole that story, you mentioned quite a few different designer names and everything, you know, developers, game developers. Would you say that you have any, like, mentors in the industry or basically any really big influences as far as that you kind of, like, look to for game design or that have kind of just maybe get you know maybe kind of pushed you into yeah this is something i'm I'm really interested in absolutely i, I absolutely I, you know probably on an unconscious level maybe at first but as i go in the industry more and more you can designers have a feel to them pretty much when i'm playing a game i can say this is a richard Linus game you can tell when it's a Richard Lanius game. Uh, if it has math involved, it's probably a Reiner and Easy game. Mm-hmm. Have these, uh, but I could. Yeah, the, the coolest thing about the industry is even though it's growing and growing and it's bubbling right now, even as we talk, 
it's still this small community where you can meet these people, you can talk to them, and they're just regular human beings and establish these really cool relationships with them. Ted Elspeck is the guy from Bezier Games. He worked for Adobe. Maybe he still works for Adobe. I don't know. Ted, I'm sorry. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I don't know your backstory. But he, I believe, is famous for coming up with like the Bezier curve algorithm that's used in their software. But he also designed games. And Ted's probably most famous right now for his werewolf line because he's the one who really brought werewolf to the masses with ultimate werewolf um and he has one night werewolf the license for one night where he calls it one night ultimate werewolf because he took was a very simple game and added in even more characters and just basically ted alspect it and made it awesome so ted ted is just amazing and he's one of the nicest guys he's very charitable too and he's in it for all the right reasons in it not just to make money but to have fun meet people and basically get together with individuals and improve the gaming environment so it's people like that and same thing richard lanius this is weird richard lanius i want to be richard lanius like he's retired (laughs) from his job and he just sits back has fun he still dresses like a teenager it's ridiculous at origins i bumped into him he's wearing his punisher shirt one day he's wearing his marvel's avenger shirt the next day Uh, but here's this guy that is really well known in the gaming industry the maker of arkham horror and he comes up to me and we talk and we've hung out. I mean, we go out to eat and we just talk game ideas. And he, it's interesting because even though uh, we're all friends and things, sometimes radically different ideas. Like he, he really criticizes the fact that two rooms in a boom can be downloaded for free. He's like, why would you do that? Everyone can just get your game for free. Uh, but it served us well so far. I mean, we're not on our own yet. We're, you know, we're not making money yet because the product's not even out. But I think, I think just being able to have a beta version of the game out for free to download is usually the way to go, because I believe our community of gamers is so into gaming that even if they have their print and play copy, just to pay the game homage, they would want to own the full version of the game. Uh, but you asked specifically influences from them. I think the main influence from them maybe isn't even from game design. It's all about attitude and the approach and just appreciating that if you're in it to get your name on cardboard, if you're in it to have fun, you're in it for the right reasons. But if you're in it for money, if you're in it for some type of fame or some type of validation or ownership, you're in it for the wrong reasons. It's all about just community and just having fun it's the gaming industry i mean by definition it's just about having fun so that's the main influence i agree with you 100 percent on that i mean that's that's one of the reasons why i do the podcast i mean i i did a podcast um a linux podcast for about four or five years because that's my day job nice and we would sit there and talk before and after about games and the guy who basically kind of ran that podcast he goes why don't you just do a game podcast already he goes you get all you guys talk about are just games constantly so i was like one day sitting around i was like all right i just told the one guy i go let's just start talking and we kind of just i started up you know what i'm playing now and just started talking about it and start getting into more games and at that time i was really more into video games than into board games and I've, i've always been into board games but i'd say probably within the past two years is when i really got really dove back into it you know pretty much had you know just completely just jumped into the pool 
yeah and have just kind of gone crazy with it i mean over the years i've always bought board games on and off but i really wasn't going to like a weekly group like i do now where i go pretty much multiple times a week i run some games you know down at the one local store i run a couple of different games down there so i'm i'm much more into you know gaming than i really was years ago so and it's i've, I've probably had more fun in the past couple of years than i have you know in a long time <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but let's let's start talking about two rooms and a boom. And I, one of the things I, I completely agree with you, what you're saying about your, about the print and play. But I think one of the things from what I've seen so far with your game that I think is going to make people jump into buying the game once it does come out is the quality of a product you're putting out. I mean, I've seen oh, some yeah. of the videos you've thrown up on Kickstarter, and some of the and and the way you're busting your butt trying to get you know the cards to just you know, basically look good. And from what I saw when you brought down to Tabletop Day, those cards looked incredible. And it seems like, you know, some of the trials and tribulations you have have, have had to go through has pretty much paid off. I mean, from what I can well, tell from, you know, from from the type of product you're coming out with now. Yeah, I mean, that was the promise we made. It would be horrible if we were really late and we delivered a subpar game because that's a double whammy, man. Like, oh, oh sorry you had to wait, and here's a piece of crap. So the main dilemma, just for those that don't know, that we ran into is uh, we were definitely slower on the art because we wanted everything to be perfect, and that was our own ignorance. And for that, we apologize profusely for our part because writing a rule book is – not easy. We had a lot of friends help us with, and actually professional editors, look at the rule book and trying to make it clear and concise. But what a lot of people don't realize is you have to pay per page. It's a total different world making a game versus learning it. So you're looking at a loss of value anytime you add more and more pages to a rule book. So we had to make them as concise as possible, fit in there, but we wanted to be full color, look beautiful, get that done. We had to get the art for that. And Sean, he did the art himself for all the cards. And so we wanted that to look crisp and, and that really took some time too. But after that, we turned in our digital files to our manufacturer. And this is where we hit a lot of our snafus. And it, I definitely, we want to share our part of the blame for being late. But this is the part that was out of our control. The first line of games we made, we wanted plastic cards. This was a stretch goal and a Kickstarter because if you know Two Rooms and a Boom, you're handling those cards all the time. They're in mm -hmm. your pocket, they're against your chest, they're between two hands, you're sliding your hand up and down them. It's very active card use. So plastic was the only option in my mind because these cards would just easily get destroyed. Yeah, so, sleeves, sleeves would definitely only go so far with those cards. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we went with a very reliable company, but they had never made plastic before. I'm talking Panda. I mean, I'll just... I don't want to keep any secrets because you can just check out our Kickstarter page and we're very transparent. So we went with Panda and Panda with the reason, one of the reasons we went with Panda is great communication. They have great customer service. They keep in touch everything, but they never made plastic cards before and they wanted us to be their first. So we thought, all right, this will be a fun journey. They're a very reputable company, but the factory that they went with kept on having problems and they started printing out our first line and we get these cards and we went from super excited because here we finally had our cards in hand to devastated because they were translucent. I kid you not in just a regularly lit room. If you held up a card, not even, 
you know, like closer than four feet away. You could totally see through the card. You could tell exactly what team and what character I was. And that's a deal breaker. You can't even play the game at that point because part of the game of Two Rooms and a Boom is a social deduction game of not knowing who other people are. So, damn, we had to totally change factories. We stuck with the manufacturer. They had to get a totally new factory, and we're really glad we did because not only are the cards no longer translucent, but they're even a better quality, more resilient. Uh, you could murder someone with them. Totally waterproof. <laughs> it's It's incredible. It's great. And the Kickstarter supporters, oh, thank goodness for the Kickstarter supporters. They've really been cheering us on after they see the product. You know, there's some very vocal, angry people, and I understand, and I take it as a compliment when someone's really furious. It means they wanted the game that badly if they're angry that it's late. But almost a complete 180 as soon as they see the product, because most of the people that post any comments or contact us, have basically said, wow, thanks for making sure the game's quality. We'd much rather have this quality game be late than a subpar quality game on time. So any one of you that's listening that backed us, thanks so much for that, and sorry about the delay. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures that you had next to each other, and there was, you, you were, I, I could see from the picture, they were translucent, and I was, after playing the game, I would be like, yeah, they are, they really can't go with that. I could see why they've had to do a lot of these different things. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we had them at Origins. So people and we'll have them at Gen Con too. So if people come up and they come to our booth, you can take a look at why we're late. And everyone who holds these cards just laughs out loud. It's pretty amazing. So speaking of Kickstarter, Mm -hmm. did you actually look into any other sort of game publishing avenues for your game before going with Kickstarter? Was Kickstarter your first was your first thought? I mean, you know, what was what was the process for that? So uh, I tried peddling my wares to other (laughs) publishers. Uh, And, you know, I was really naive at the time because I was worried about stealing. It was actually more my wife because when I came back and said, oh, my goodness, Jay Little may have used my cards in his role-playing game. She's like, what? That's amazing. How much money did you get? I was like, what? Money? I I didn't get any money. So she kind of instilled, like, you want to be – you don't want anyone else taking your ideas without that. And that's not what the gaming industry is about. Uh, If you really know it, you shouldn't have to worry about people stealing your ideas because it's a creative pool anyways. And it's inevitable. It's only a matter of time before – uh, some games could be made that's very similar to your own ideas. I say that, and, and of course there's exceptions to that. But anyway, the point being is I tried pitching my games to publishers, and I had some people interested in some of my games. I wasn't known yet. But when Sean and I made Two Rooms and a Boom, it was an instant success, and we had this very rare thing happen. And I'm not sure how classy it is for me to talk about, but I guess we'll just talk about it anyways and see what happens. (laughs) We actually got into this really rare bidding war, which publishers, of course, hate. So we had four companies really interested in publishing Two Rooms and a Boom. And they would say, well, we want to give you this much money for two rooms and a boom. We said, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. It's happening. But then someone else contacted us and said, no, we want to give you this much money for two rooms. And we're like, what? And it just kept on going up and up to the point where someone offered a ludicrous amount uh, wherever the other publisher said, that's insane. We can't really 
um, you know, put forth that much money because we need to make a profit on this game. And if we're sharing that much of the profit with the designers, then there's not enough money to go around. It's not a huge profit margin. I hate to break anyone's heart, but there's an old saying in the gaming industry. If you want to have $3 million from working in the gaming industry, you got to start with $6 million. So, um, yeah, there's not a huge profit margin there. But we thought about it, and we thought hard about it. And this is before Sean decided to go ahead and leave Arcane Wonders and start our company. But we decided we were going to go on our own. And that's what we did. We decided to go on this brave decision of, hey, let's start our own company. And why we did it was exactly what I've alluded to already in this interview is we didn't ask ourselves, what would be the smartest move? Or what would be the <laughs> easiest move? Or what would be the most financially beneficial move? We said, what would be the most fun? And we thought, oh, Kickstarter would. And I'm really glad we did don't get me wrong. Oh my, so much work has been put into this. We're still working on it. Sean's basically, we, I live in like the Cleveland area. Sean lives in the Dallas area of Texas. And so we've always done it remote, but he's actually living with me right now and my wife in the Cleveland area. And we are working to get everything done because that little delay of organizing uh, getting on Skype and things like that, talking, we wanted to get it done. So since we're at crunch time, we want to make sure there's no hook up, hook, hiccups, no more delays with freighting, shipping. We want our backers to get their games. And we're also finishing our documentary, which was our first Kickstarter, which is Boomer Doom. Right, I saw so that one. Yeah, so we're, we're also trying to fulfill all the promises for Boomer Doom. It's been a long project in the making. And the cool thing is, because we've hit all these hiccups, it actually makes a more interesting story. Because when we first got into it, we actually thought, let's hope this documentary is boring and everything goes smoothly. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> so now we get to talk about a lot of what I've already alluded to here. Um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. But you know what? Do, doing something that way, that way, that's definitely the way you learn a lot. I mean, it's probably helped you as a designer having oh, yeah. to go through a lot of these different things that you, you know if everything had gone smooth and if everything was just like you know boom 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 and then the game's out the door it's i'm sh i'm sure having to go through a lot of this stuff has just probably really helped just round out everything as a designer for you cuz now you pretty much know everything from you know pretty much nuts to bolts beginning to end yeah know, the whole it, process it, it really is an you nailed it it's an education you really learn and there's so much more that goes into it than even i thought and i thought i had a really healthy understanding like yeah i understand this isn't going to be easy this is going to be a ton of work but there's so many surprises in there that i didn't account for so it, it's it's been a trip it's been wild <laughs> i can just imagine so i guess is there <laughs> anything that maybe you would have changed throughout the whole kickstarter process or you know, maybe a little it's a great question. I'm sure, uh, yeah, not, I guess I guess you can watch. I guess you can you know watch how you want to answer this one because I'm sure you're probably going to cover this in your documentary. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. What would we do differently? But it's a great question, and you deserve an answer. I mean, I've been talking your ear off already, so you know what's a fart when you've already crapped your pants? Let's just go for it. Um, so. What would I do differently? It's interesting because it's such a catch-22. The easy answer would be, well, we would have had our art 
that way, when we funded, we'd go ahead and we'd be able to submit our files right away to our manufacturer. But that's not a reality. We couldn't have done that because we didn't know if it would fund, number one. And because Sean and I are working our day, day jobs trying to make ends meet, we wouldn't have had the time to put in all that artwork. So the funding went into paying for the time it went in for Sean to sit down and do all that art. So that's so much easier said than done. Maybe this is, yeah, this is definitely, definitely would have done this. Uh, would have erred in the side of caution and said, hey, time of release. We hope to get it in before two years from now. So under promise, over fulfill instead of the other way around over promise and under fulfill because mm-hmm. right now we're trying to meet all of our promises and we didn't promise we'd get it in by November, but we told people we're trying to get it in and that just didn't happen. So, uh, that's where we're eating crow and that is what I would change. I'd really emphasize, Hey, if you back us, we're total noobs at this. We think it might be this time. So let's just err on the side of two years. And but we'll, we promise we'll keep you updated on how long it will take. Uh, we probably would have lost some backers that way, but it, I think more backers would it would have prevented a lot of hurt feelings. I think, yeah. So that's my advice: just way, way uh, under promise, just to err on the side of caution, especially if you're new at it. Well, I think I think no matter what you do, you're never always going to please everybody. And so that's, yeah. that's that's kind of the way I look at my podcast. I know not everybody's going to listen to it. Not everybody may like some of the stuff I talk about, but the people who do like it, I, I do this more for the love of the hobby than for basically trying to please everybody. Right. Is the kind yeah. of the reasons why I do this. I mean, so it's... It's it's pretty much the same thing, and that's and I and it seems like that's pretty much the reason what's got, what's gotten you into the designing games and everything is just because you just love to do it, which which is yeah. just awesome. Yeah, it's what I do for fun. So, like when I'm sitting on the crap or whatever, instead of reading a magazine, I've got my game design notebook that I'm just pecking away at. So, yeah, that's uh that's the hobby. But you know what? It, it 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 is a fun hobby. I have to say there there are a lot of hobbies out there, and even my wife, you know, she's just has no, you know does not mind at all what I do with games and everything if I want to go buy a new one if I want to you know do she's like just do whatever you want she's like I don't even care and yeah, she's I think she's, she's open to trying and all do new different games like I taught her I taught her Lords of Waterdeep earlier today and she loved it yeah I, I think it's totally cool to spend some time geeking out on our wives for a moment because I wouldn't be where I'd be without the support of my wife and the encouragement uh, so yeah, if that wasn't there, man, like we just have, it's her birthday. Her birthday is when origins is. So that just gives you some understanding. Like every birthday, I'm like, Hey, have a good birthday. See ya. <laughs> uh, and that would suck if she didn't understand that. So uh, I give her props for that. And the sad thing is our anniversary is also right before Gen Con. And that was a mistake on my part, getting married right before Gen Con. But now every year it's like, all right, yay, anniversary, got to go. <laughs> yeah, you you probably needed to plan that one just a little bit better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But she's awesome. So I give you props for calling out the wives. They deserve it. Oh, definitely, definitely. She's, like I said, my wife lets me, you know, do the stuff. If I want to buy something for the podcast, like, I was using my headset for a while for the microphone and everything, and I was like, I need this to sound a little better. And she's like, well, go get a microphone then. you know. And she's like, she, yeah. completely, she, she completely supports me. you know. And I try to keep it within reason. I try not to, you know, 
go for the Lamborghini, I definitely try to make sure, you know, I get something that's, you know, justifiable and, and works and, and definitely, you know, sounds better and things, you know. Like the, yeah. the one thing, the one thing that I'm going to hopefully be adding onto the website is going to be video reviews soon. I've, nice. I have a couple, I have a couple of um, written reviews. I'm working on a review of Jaipur right now, and then I want to do a written review of Arboretum. But we're looking at possibly getting a camera, and I want to start doing some video reviews. And she's she's all for that. She goes, heck yeah. She goes, let's start doing that. She goes, that looks pretty cool. She goes, we could do that. So she's she's all in it too. You know. Very cool. So that that's Very that's, cool. that's hopefully going to be the next thing that we add to the website are going to be some video reviews. So I look we, forward to them. I encourage you to do that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, for my wife, uh, the, the stupid way that I try to repay her is I try to get her in as many of my friends' games as possible. Uh, so she's in. It started with Ascension. So she's in Ascension uh, with me. But we're also in Boss Monster. If you ever play Boss Monster, we're a couple of warriors. It's uh, Elan and Crystal. My wife's name's Crystal of GERD. Uh, so we're in Boss Monster. We're in, she's in Good Cop, Bad Cop, uh, which is a great, great social deduction game. Those guys did a wonderful job with that one. And that's Kickstarter. And she's specifically in the expansion. And it's funny because <laughs> she has a tattoo of me on her shoulder. So I guess I'm kind of in there too. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's one of my favorite things. Like we're even in the Minion Games game Battle Merchant. So it's just one of these things if we're playing the game occasionally. And that's my favorite thing is when it pops up and it takes her a beat or two before she even notices that she's in another game. So that's cool. So I, uh, now I, I definitely can't tell that to my wife cause I have not gotten her in any games yet, but we, <laughs> have, we, we do have boss monster. So I'm going to have to go pull out my boss monster and show her now after this, that, you know, you guys have a card, which is pretty cool. And she's just going to yeah. look at me and be like, well, how come where's ours? And I'll be like, that's, I'm not, I'm not there yet. A little <laughs> bit longer before we get to anything like that. Yeah. Podcast, podcast isn't that popular yet. We're getting there. We're working on it. You'll get there, man. Like, it, I forget who said it, but it, it was us today, you today, uh, but someone more famous than either of us said, uh, don't do it in hopes for fame. Do it because you love it, and mm -hmm. that makes you famous, even if you're not. So, um, yeah, they said it much better than I just did, but, yeah, you're on the right track. I'd like to think I'm on the right track, and if uh, you just do it for the love. It's awesome. All right. I think cool. that's it. I think we've been discussing this for a little while. I yeah, we've pretty much gone through all the questions that I had. I don't think I have anything else. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You had mentioned you, you guys are possibly working on another game. I didn't know how much you wanted to talk about that, so I really didn't pry or push too yes, much on that one. supposed to promote all the time if you if you <laughs> But I don't think it really needs it. So the the game game two, super excited about. It's not one of mine. Uh, Sean and I developed it, uh, like changed some of the scoring mechanics, whatever, but this is from Anthony Birch. It's Anthony Birch's World Championship Russian Roulette. And it's amazing because the whole sales pitch is congratulations, you made it to the World Championship. Unfortunately, it's in Russian roulette. And in this game, you play the team captain of a Russian roulette team. And you're competing against the world's best Russian roulette players. And we already know what it's like if you're not a good Russian roulette player. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing. You basically bid on how many times you're going to pull the trigger on your head. And you get a victory point for every trigger pull that doesn't end up killing your player. 
Uh, and there's action cards with add strategy. There's bluffing where you uh, get to hide a card so you can actually, because instead of a gun, because that would just be sick and wrong if you're playing with a gun, it's just a deck of cards that represents. So you have six cards, but realistically you have seven cards because one card you get to hide in your pocket and you could hide the bullet card. But if someone catches you cheating, then not only will that player get their brains blown out by the judge, but they'll get like three action cards, which really gives them a step above the competition. So it's it's risky cheating. But the cool thing is, this is by Anthony Birch, and Anthony Birch is best known for uh, Hey Ash, What You Playing uh, is a video series that he does, and he wrote the plot for Borderlands 2. So okay. if you your game Borderlands 2, he's really popular for that. His sister is like the star of Hey Ash, What You pl- What You Playing, because that's Ashley, and Ashley Birch has been on tabletop. So we're just really lucky to have established these type of relationships where we hang out with like the Board With Life crew in Dallas, and Sean actually plays role-playing games with Anthony Birch, and he just said, hey, I got this game, and it was so badass that, of course, we said, yeah, we'll, we'll totally publish that for you if you want it published. And that's how we established that relationship. So it was, it was really cool. That's basically, I can answer any questions and we, we're just uh, demoing it at Gen Con and origins. Uh, as I already said that, that that's basically it. Yeah. That sounds cool. And that sounds like that'll be a really good follow-up to uh, two rooms and a boom. Yeah, yeah, that, one, that one actually sounds, sounds really cool. One where you're blowing brains out. So yeah, I've, our mothers are very proud. So <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to call it for the interview for right now. Alan, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Like I said, we'll be getting this posted on Wednesday. So be listening for that. And Very cool. If there's anything else you want to say, I'll give you the last words. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, everybody. I am back, and hopefully you all enjoyed the interview that I had with Alan. I really appreciate him coming on the show. I can't thank him enough for being on the show, and hopefully I can get in on some more local game developers and designers, and I do have some other people in mind, and hopefully they'll be on the show shortly. I'm probably going to maybe do interview shows. I'm hoping to do maybe about one a month is what I'm going to shoot for. If I can actually get some more designers on, I will shoot maybe for every other episode. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes, but I do have a couple of more people lined up, so hopefully we'll have some more interviews shortly all right so we're going to jump into the last part of the show and that's going to be what i want to play now so i was down at the local game store yesterday and i was talking to the owner and we were talking about what we were going to play on for our thursday night board game group both of us are really in the camp of wanting to play viticulture so hopefully we have somebody who's actually going to be able to bring that game down to the store as i do not own viticulture and he did not have a store copy as of yet but i might be able to talk him into opening one up if nobody actually does have one so hopefully viticulture is going to get played i don't know if we will be able to play with the tuscany expansion or not if i can just actually get in a game of viticulture to try it out to see how good it is i may be picking that game up next on my list because that is something i really want to play And then the other game that I want to play was a game that I actually found on Facebook today. Somebody had posted in one of the Facebook groups that I'm I'm in, and that was another application for my phone, and that is called Battle Lore Command. This is a game based off of the 
Fantasy Flight board game battle lore. And so far from what I've seen from loading it up and reading through some of the rules, it looks like this is going to be a very nice strategy game. I've only gotten through two or three parts of the rule, two or three sections of the rules so far, so I haven't even really gotten into any of the combat yet. But from what I've seen of some of the screenshots in the video, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. All right. So that is going to be it for this show. I really haven't talked about too many games this episode, but I wanted to leave a lot of a lot of time for the interview. I will be back next week with quite a few games that I've played and a lot of things that I want to talk about. Hey, let me know what you're playing now. Send me an email. Send those to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at what I'm playing now. Also, don't forget to do a search for us on Facebook. Just do a search for what I'm playing now. And then our Google Plus page, which is plus.google.com slash the plus sign, what I'm playing now podcast. And then, of course, our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening and come back again next week. And as always, go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>